tortillas are flying out of the student section. Guns up, Red Raider Nation. We're back. Welcome into this week's edition of the Flying Tortilla Podcast. As always, I'm Charlie McBride, joined alongside best friend and co-host Morgan Wiley. Morgan, welcome in. Always glad to be back with you. Yes, sir. Good to be back in the studio. We've been a little bit longer than expected, but we had some things come up, so we're back here on a Monday night, and we're ready to get this thing rocking. That's right. Glad to be back. This week in Texas Tech Athletics has been crazy Dating back, and we'll start things off with Texas Tech basketball as normal last week, going on the road to take on the Oklahoma Sooners in what should have been a pretty easy win for the Red Raiders. Oklahoma having lost their last seven games in a row, but Red Raiders couldn't quite take care of business and lost not by a couple of points, but lost by double digits, a game that was uh, quite frankly uh, kind of hard and embarrassing to watch, but nonetheless, onward and upward. Morgan, your thoughts on that game? Oh, man, I don't even know where to begin with that game. It was it was kind of one of those things to me. It, it looked like we just weren't ready to play. You know, the defense wasn't on point. Um, we've talked about before being that defensive team that can travel, and, and we didn't look like it uh, in that game in Norman. So I think that's kind of where it started. Another thing that, that didn't help is uh, OU just completely going off from behind the, the three-point line. They they had a combined 13 three-pointers, which it's that doesn't help you in any shape or fashion. So that's, that's tough to overcome, and especially whenever you're not um, on point defensively like you usually are. Um, they just they had open shots and made the open shots and you know they they were came ready to play and we looked like we didn't know what hit us kind of had deer in the headlights look so uh, it was kind of just one of those games you know if we do that now and don't do it in March that's awesome I'd rather get those out of the way and and get everything figured out before we get in the the spin of the tournament so no yeah no I, I completely agree and that's one of the things that it boiled down to for me watching that game. You know, we place such a heavy emphasis on the no-middles defense, but it seems like we give up a lot of open looks on the perimeter, and Oklahoma absolutely took advantage of those as the Red Raiders fell 70-55, to a 15-point loss against Oklahoma. That was tough to watch, but the Red Raiders bounced back and played TCU on Saturday at home. That was a great game to watch, but it was the same story the entire first half. You have TCU, again, Tech playing the no-middles defense that we normally do. Well, we gave up a lot of perimeter looks to TCU, and they really took advantage of it, much like Oklahoma did. TCU would go on to take a 40-37 to lead going into halftime, but that's when the Red Raiders came back and really stepped it up and just went on an absolute tear in the second half to win with the final score of 82 to 69 but I'll tell you that first half I was sweating bullets just about the whole time what about you oh no doubt uh my parents were in town for that game and we were sitting there and I was just we were all talking about what in the world are we doing yeah, did and, you and, go to the game oh yeah yeah we were there and 
everything TCU looked at in the first half went in. It, it was it was pretty impressive for I guess for their fans or whatever. But I didn't I didn't really like it very much. But every three they really put up in the first half seemed to fall, and that kind of in, in my mind I was like this is gonna be like OU again. They're gonna come out and be, just be absolutely hot from everywhere on the floor, and we're gonna mess around and get beat. Um, second half rolls around and we came out and just punched him in the mouth and it was one of those deals where we ended up just getting hot and all of a sudden we're up 20 points and I was like whoa well, that was that was quick didn't see that coming but the second half really looked like the defense picked up and and got back to um, where we were and where we wanted to be um, on the defensive side and we started getting buckets and kind of doing more of what we have been doing all year so I mean, I'll take it. We, I think we learned a lot from that game. Uh, one thing that, that kind of isn't isn't good is the McCullough injury, which I heard it was just a high ankle sprain. So hopefully he's back before too long. But, but man, that was tough. It looked like, um, from what I saw, it looked like he shattered his leg. No, the way it did. He was acting, so I was pretty nervous about that. But hopefully it's not as bad as it looked. I hope not. But that was the, to your point, you know, I go home, and I'm at home for this thing, and uh, so I only could watch it on TV, but when McCuller went down, I mean, the way he was rolling over and screaming and slapping the floor, I mean, it looked bad. And he could hardly walk off the floor as they took him to the locker room. So uh, fortunately, the injury has seemed to be less significant than what everybody thought it was, which is good news for the Red Raiders moving forward. But I mean, yeah, it looked really, really bad, but... Uh, best wishes to him. Hope he can uh, kind of go through his rehab and therapy assignments like he needs to and get back on the floor come March. Oh, for sure. I think he's going to be all right. And if he's not, I mean, I think he's going to play. I mean, this team and this season means a lot to him. So I think he's going to do everything he can to get back on the floor, uh, which is which is exciting to see because he's one of those guys that you can't, you can't really afford to lose. He knows the system and he knows uh, – what to do and everybody really just embraces him on the team so he'll be back I, i'm i'm pretty confident that that he's gonna he's gonna get back no matter what yeah i sure hope so but ultimately terrence shannon jr was the difference in that game against the horn frogs on saturday he went seven for nine from the field uh four for five from the free throw stripe and he had 20 points and quite frankly that 20 points played a big difference in that second half run that we had to get back into the game, not only to get back into it, but also really uh, kind of take control of the game the rest of the way through. And the TCU turnover margin played a big factor in that game as well. Oh, another thing that really stood out to me is that, um, and this is kind of a, a staple of something that we're getting a little bit better at, is we have not been a good free throw shooting team through the first part of the season. And it, it's really really been frustrating to watch and us just struggle at the free throw line but um you look at our free throw percentage for the game that was uh 72 percent as opposed to 66 as tcu shot but but we got to the line 29 times and tcu only shot 12 total free throws so it was kind of one of those things where we were down and we started getting fouled and we uh ended up making free throws and that's kind of what got us back into the game and there in the first half we got into the double bonus pretty early in the first half and, and kind of clawed our way back in at the free throw line, which we started like two for six. And then I was like, dang, this is going to be another one of those games where we can't shoot free throws. But we fought and 
got those fouls and started making free throws and shot 72%. So, which isn't isn't anything to just be shitting about and just being so happy we shot 72%, which from where we have been is pretty good. But, I mean, you can always improve, and that's something that I'm going to be looking forward to, and, and that's something that we're going to have to fix down the stretch, and especially in closer games and with Baylor coming to town this week. That's something that you got to win is the free throw percentage. Yeah, no doubt about it. And let's fast forward to this week, Wednesday. The Baylor Bears come to town. Baylor, uh, they're still, you know, they're a pretty good ball club, and they've been playing good basketball. They've had a couple of games where they've lost that maybe they shouldn't have, um, but then they turn around and beat Texas on Saturday, 80 to 63. I mean, just beat the dog out of Texas. Uh, so, what does that say about this Baylor team? coming into Lubbock on Wednesday. Well, one of the big storylines of that game is Baylor's, uh, forgive me for the pronunciation of this name, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to take a stab at it here. Uh, uh, Ch- Chamwa, Ch- do, you, do you have any idea? I do, I don't. And I've, I've known or I've seen this guy play a few times this year. And every time I see his name pop up, I'm like, dude, I don't even know where to start with that. I think, I think his first name's like Robert or something. It's, it, like Rodney I think the something. correct pronunciation is Chamwa uh, Tachitoa. Uh, <laughs> well, so forget that. Uh, anyway, he's one of Baylor's leading scorers. He got hurt really bad in the game on Saturday against the Longhorns. And long story short, he will be out the rest of the year. So you subtract him from the equation on Wednesday's game here in Lubbock. And uh, unfortunately for Baylor, they'll be without him. I think it's Chamwa Chachua, I think is how you pronounce the name. Shoot, it sounds right. Better than anything I can yeah, come up but with. None, so. But nonetheless, him not being in the picture for Wednesday makes the Red Raiders' chances look a lot better, especially when you're the Red Raiders half a game behind Baylor, one game behind Kansas in the Big 12 standings. What are your thoughts and outlooks on this game coming up on Wednesday? Well, something, too, that uh, is kind of interesting is you got the McCuller injury, and I don't know. I haven't heard how long he'll be out or the, the any updates on that other than it was a high ankle sprain, which it, announced yet. it could be something else. I don't know. That's just what I heard. So, uh, I mean, how is that going to balance out with – Chacha Wacha, whatever. Him being out, is, is he going to balance that? McCuller, I mean, I don't know. That's going to be something that's going to be um, kind of interesting to watch there. But I think that Baylor coming into Tech, coming into Lubbock to play, I mean, uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Baylor's overrated. They're not the team they were last year. They're not the team that everybody thinks they are. So, uh I think that it's going to be a tough atmosphere. I've heard there's people already camping out for this game. It's it's definitely going to be a tough atmosphere that Baylor's not used to playing in, um, in Waco or really anywhere else. So I think that I think that uh, we're going to be ready to go. I think that people are going to be the team's going to be ready to play for McCuller not being there, and that's kind of a, a thing that I thought about in the second half of that TCU game was. You know, they may have gone in the locker room and saw his injury and been like, okay, we're going to win this for you. And I hope they carry that over, whatever they did in the second half of that TCU game to the Baylor game. But but I think we've got a great chance to win, and I, I think we pull it out. I bet we – I'm going to say we win by seven. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to a free throw game um, there at the end, and I think we pull it out by seven. Yeah, I hope it's uh... – 
I hope it goes in the Red Raiders' favor, of course, but after a little bit of research, the Kevin McCullough injury did indeed prove to be a high ankle sprain, uh, and the x-rays for any kind of fracture or break did come back negative. So uh, fortunately for him, he should be back. Uh, high ankle sprain, not sure. Do you know how long those injuries put you out for? I mean, it kind of depends on the severity of it, but uh, I'm sure with the rehab facilities and and the procedures that they have to go through, I'm sure it, uh, he won't be out too long. Uh, I'm sure he's back by the tournament for sure. I mean, I don't know how many games we've got left in the season, but he may be back by the end of the season. It uh, looks like we've got Baylor, UT, Oklahoma at home, TCU on the road. K-State here in Oklahoma State on the road, and that's it. So uh, I think – I bet he's back by the end of the season. Yeah, I hope so. I think that buys him a lot of time to uh, maybe not be back by the end of the season, but hopefully with the additional week or two between the end of the regular season conference tournament by the start of the NCAA tournament, should we make the tournament, I think that's an absolute lock-in by now. McCullough should be – back ready to rock and roll i sure hope so because down low he plays a big part in this texas tech team uh, averaging five and a half rebound rebounds per game oh he plays a huge part of the team just across the board you know he's one of those leaders to me that that kind of steps up whenever we need buckets and we need stops and he's kind of all over the place and does does a lot that um is outside of is uh just playing he averages 30 minutes a game so you know he's He's playing just about the entire time, which uh, says a lot that, that the guys like him and that he's, he's uh, durable and can play that many minutes in a game. No, absolutely, and I think having him back in the future will be a big part of the success of this Red Raiders team. Uh, but with that being said, like we mentioned, this Wednesday at 8 o'clock in Lubbock, the Baylor Bears will travel out west to take on our beloved Red Raiders and uh, right now ESPN has the matchup predictor in favor of the Red Raiders. Baylor averaging 79, 78, excuse me, points per game. The Red Raiders averaging only 74. But with us being one of the only, if not the only, Big 12 team undefeated at home, that home court advantage should play a big factor into this one. In fact, as of today, today is Monday the 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. But there are Thanks, already, buddy, you too. Yeah, thank you. But there are already people that are camping out outside of United Supermarkets Arena for that game Wednesday. So the atmosphere should be electric, and it should be a really exciting game on Wednesday. Yeah, it, it definitely will be. I mean, everybody's going to be fired up for that one. Um, and it's something that, that's kind of cool that I thought about is that, you know, we ended Baylor's home winning streak, which was the longest in the nation. So, you know, uh, we've we've built up our resume here at home, and, and I think they're going to be uh, ready to come and play and try to end our streak. So um, it's not going to be a gimme by any means, and uh, it's definitely going to be a dogfight for – for 40 minutes, but I'm, I'm ready to watch it and see what happens. And it should be a good ball game nonetheless. Well, let's fast forward. Speaking of Texas Tech basketball still, over the weekend, because of that Oklahoma loss, but a resilient comeback win that was uh, really kind of not close there at the end against TCU, Red Raiders move in the AP poll from the ninth spot down to number 11. So considering that really bad Oklahoma loss, I can be content with that 
uh, two spot movement from 9 to 11. Uh, but like I said, fast forwarding, fast forwarding to Saturday when we travel to Austin for round two against Chris Beard and the Longhorns. What are your thoughts on that game? It should be a really good one, and there is so much on the line for this one, aside from pride, but also for us to be able to maintain our standings within the Big 12 Conference, but also in the AP poll. Your thoughts? I mean, that it's going to be a dogfight. Again, we've got we've got a tough week. This is this is probably the second toughest week of basketball games that we've had besides the Baylor, Kansas, and Oklahoma State. Wait, was it no K State? I'm sorry, that was whenever we beat Kansas, uh, beat Baylor, or, or then, vice versa, whichever order they came in. And I don't then we remember. Played Iowa State, who was ranked like seven at the time, and we only had seven players because of COVID. And well, we that, that was won before that. Game. As, yeah, I guess the Iowa State game so. was before the Baylor and Kansas stretch, but but anyway, we played ended up playing three games in a week because of uh, rescheduling and stuff like that. But yeah, but that right. was probably the toughest week that we've had so far, and that lost K State was whatever that was. We we just uh, came off two big wins and and kind of were tired, I assume, after traveling and doing all that. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Texas game too. It's going to be another one of those dogfight games. And uh, nothing's going to come easy. we got to play them at their house. I'm hoping that there's going to be quite a few Red Raiders there, and I'm hoping that that defense will travel. But uh, I think if we play them tough like we did last time and don't let them have anything easy and, I mean, play the way we should play, I don't I don't see any issues there, especially with the season Texas is having. And they're always up and down. I mean, they'll be ready to play whenever we come to town. But I, I think that we take care of business and do the things we're supposed to do. I don't see any issues. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's part of the reason that, uh, you know, Red Raider Nation always travels well. UT tried to do what they could to eliminate any and all Tech fans from attending the game on Saturday with their whole, uh, for lack of a better term, excuse the uh, profanity here, but the shit show of a ticket purchasing situation was really bad but uh you can only think that red raider nation will still find a way to show up and show out so uh, i think that's gonna have quite a bit of an advantage to us as well but nonetheless it should be a really exciting game on saturday and uh, i I think the red raiders have a a pretty good shot to get the job done i think the only way that you can keep tech fans from getting in that game is to either a burn the arena down or be hosted in a practice gym with only 20 seats. I just I don't I don't see any other way. They're they're going to find a way even if they have to travel to Austin just so that they can be in inside the city limits to get a ticket. I mean, <laughs> fans are crazy. They'll do they'll do anything I think and I think UT fans knew that and they tried their best, but I'm I'm excited to see uh how well they did. I don't I don't think they did pretty well, but I mean at the same time they're not they're not losing anything from us buying all their tickets. It's not like the UT fans are going to go to the game anyway. They don't care. They haven't been to the games all year. Why why do they care that we buy them? They're, we're just supporting Austin. You know, we're just trying to help out their local economy. Well, that's. I mean, you make a good point. I saw a hilarious tweet from somebody earlier in the week where Chris Del Conte, the athletic director at the University of Texas, said that no students at the University of Texas will be turned away from Saturday's game against Texas Tech. 
All the students that will be let in are allowed to fill any and all empty seats in the upper deck should they not find a seat in the student section. And some tech alum posted this tweet that said, I hope to God some Texas student tries to sit in the seats that we bought. They will have hell to pay. So uh, that will be... That will be interesting to see on uh, on Twitter come Saturday, but nonetheless, Texas and Texas Tech, Saturday at 11.30 on ABC, weird start time, weird channel to play college basketball on, but should be fun. No kidding. It's going to be like the, the uh, I guess, what time is that game usually? Like the 3 o'clock CBS SEC football game that's always – the big deal with uh, what's what's the dude's name? Brad Nessler. Brad Nessler and yeah. uh, God, what's the other guy's name? I don't know. He, he's an old guy now, but yeah, I don't, I don't I don't remember his name. Uh, I want to say. I feel it's, like we got Yeah, we got to come up with this. I, it's somebody that's a, does he see the one that does the games with Tony Romo? No, that's the NFL. Jim Nance. Yeah, Vern, yeah, yeah. Vern Vern Lundquist and Brent Musburger and Brad Nessler. Yeah, that's that. See, to me, that's always something you turn on the, the TV for the three o'clock game, and that's like a staple. You hear that, and you're like, "Oh, this is going to be a good okay, game." And I I'm always gonna, think about my my deal is whenever I hear that, I think about LSU playing Alabama that yeah. year that uh, in 2019 when when LSU won the whole thing, and I was like, "Oh, buddy, let's go! They're about to beat them." I've got a question for you. This is completely unrelated to basketball, but Joe Buck and Tony Romo. And, uh, I mean, Jim Nance and Troy Aikman, those guys are big-time sportscasters, but especially Joe Buck being uh, Fox's main guy for baseball, football, golf, and most any other sporting event that Fox puts on. Do you like Joe Buck? I don't. I do not like Joe Buck for one reason. I mean, for football, he's okay. But every time he's commentating a golf tournament, like they started doing the U.S. Open on – on Fox, and I just want to turn it off. It's terrible. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and he tries to act like he does. And it just makes me so mad, and I can't listen to it. So, I mean, I guess for anything other than golf, he's okay. But I would much rather listen to Jim Nance and Tony Romo on just about any sport. It doesn't matter. All right, well, I've got a question for you again. Would it be fair to say that even though you don't like Joe Buck, any time, whether it's a Sunday night football game or it's a World Series or something like that, would you agree that anytime you flip on the TV and you hear somebody like Joe Buck commentating the game, you know it's a big game? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll give him that. And, I mean, he does get those big-ticket games like that because he's one of the most well-known commentators. So, so yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Well, that's, that's fair. Joe Buck, if you're listening, shout-out to you. Some of us don't like you. Some of us do, nonetheless. Well, just stop commentating golf. Just it's not your arena. Just admit that admit that you don't know what you're talking about. Call me. I'll come. I promise. I'll come do it for free. Come commentate the U.S. <laughs> Opens every year. Maybe for a beer or two, you'll do it. Yeah, free beer all weekend. And I'll come do. It. I'll come do it. No well, doubt. With that being said, once again, Saturday, 11:30 on ABC, you can catch the Red Raiders and the Texas Longhorns live from Austin. Hopefully, is a home game 2.0 for the Texas Tech Red Raiders, but no guarantees as the ticket situation has been a complete disaster. With that being said, that about covers the Texas Tech Red Raiders basketball segment of this podcast. With one exception, March Madness, not a whole lot of differences between now and the last time, but 
your thoughts on the upcoming NCAA tournament selection Sunday being here in just about a month. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And the season's still not over. There's still a lot that can happen. I mean, um, if I'm not mistaken, Purdue got beat on Sunday by Maryland, of all people, at home. Like, Purdue lost to Maryland at home, and Maryland is not a very good team um, from what I've seen and what I've heard. So that was a big shakeup, and that, that took Purdue down from three to five, um, potentially knocking them out of a one seed. So um, we've got that going on I don't I don't know it's there's a lot that could happen um, I'm pretty sure Auburn still has to play Kentucky again uh, at home not Auburn home Kentucky home so I mean there's there's a lot still to come it's it's not over till the fat lady sings and she hadn't warmed up yet so who knows which is funny because you look at a team like Houston too well Houston was on an absolute tear well, so they lose at home to SMU, or um, yeah, I guess it was mm-hmm. SMU. They lose to, uh, at home against. Then they play Memphis on Saturday, and got beat pretty bad too. Two pretty bad losses for Houston. They go from number six all the way down to, I believe, fourteen in the polls. And so, I mean, it's just that just goes to show no shade at Houston but there are no guarantees in college basketball so that should make March Madness uh, much more fun as if it wasn't already I really I really think and in, in my mind every conference uh, is pretty competitive so far this year and and you kind of have those toss-up games like Arkansas beating Auburn the other day which was nuts uh, I mean nobody's safe especially if you're ranked high you've got a target on your back. And people are going to come after you um, full speed. But I think the one lock is going to be Gonzaga. I feel like their conference is not strong. I feel like there's nobody there that's going to be good enough to beat them. But on the on the turn side of that, I feel like you get into March and in the tournament time, I feel like Gonzaga is not going to have the the strength and the depth of having those those close games like everybody else has. And I mean, you can put them one seed, but they're gonna they're gonna come up with somebody that's just gonna not go away and I mean I feel like in uh are they big east or no no they're not yeah what conference are they in they are in the um I don't know it's up they're up on the pacific coast so it's it's they're in the gosh dude I I don't really know but nonetheless to your point while you're looking that up it's one of those crazy things though is that it's a team like Gonzaga where they really don't have much talent within their conference. That's what's always weird about those teams is how good are they going to be when they make it to the NCAA tournament? You know, when you go up against teams that have played in tough conferences all year long and you've not really had a whole lot of competition except for maybe some of those pre-conference, pre-season tournaments you've played in, you've not had the chance to see that next level competition that most of these other schools see day in and day out for instance prime example texas tech you go play texas you go play tcu oklahoma tcu and oklahoma aren't that great but they'll show up to play when they need to uh baylor on wednesday you know schools like that you you never know what you're going to get in the big 12 but when you go to a school like gonzaga they don't have that in conference uh difficulty and schedule that somebody like 
the Big 12 or the SEC might have. So it always makes you wonder, how good is that team? They might look really good right now because they're not playing much competition within their own conference, but come tournament time, how good are they? Yeah, and that's something that is kind of lost in translation, like from football to basketball season, is that you look at, we'll, we'll take Cincinnati, for example. People didn't want them in the, in the college f- football playoff because they haven't played anybody. But then you have a team like Gonzaga who hasn't played a single di- person all year other than UT and Tech, where really their two toughest games other than Duke, which they ran all over Duke at the beginning of the year. And Duke's young, but anyway... They, just, they haven't played anybody, and no one cares. They're like, oh, yeah, they're number one. They're probably going to win the whole thing, and they're, they're not. I, I, don't, I don't see them even getting close, which they are a very good team, and I'm not saying that because they can shoot. They've got big guys that, that carry them. But, I mean, you look at their conference. They're on a 14-game winning streak and are 10-0 and in conference, and it's them, St. Mary's, San Francisco, Santa Clara, BYU, San Diego, Portland, Pacific, LMU, and Pepperdine. I couldn't tell you where half of those schools are. I, I don't even I think, know. I other think than, you can, I think you can tell us where Santa Clara and San Diego are. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I might have heard of them. Geography before. Geography one hundred and one from the Flying Tortilla, San Diego. Yeah, but Pacific. What is that? Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that like a whole region? Yeah, no, it's apparently that's their conference. So, but I mean, I mean, Pepperdine's at the bottom, and they're one and eleven in conference. Like, I, I don't know. I don't understand that. Like, you can't. You can't have that same saying in football where, oh, they haven't played anybody. And then in basketball, oh, they've won 14 games in a row. They're on fire. Like, look at the schedule. St. Mary's is the closest one to even beat them in the conference. And they still didn't. So Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Which, I mean, again, there's there's time to come. But I think, I think even if they do lose, the thing about that, well, I don't know. I bet they don't drop out of the top five. But they don't drop out of the top three. No. Nope. Even if they lose to some nobody team. If Pepperdine beat them, they'd probably still be two or three. Well, that's the only thing, too, is that Gonzaga, their only like, claim to fame so far this year outside of conference play are just a couple of those tournaments and games earlier in the year. Like UT, they went up to play Gonzaga at home and uh, got beat by Gonzaga. But that, again, is both of our points is other than that, they haven't played anybody. Yeah, and I, I don't know which. I don't know what you do for that. I mean, you can't really change your conference, I guess, just because of basketball. And I don't know that they're much good at anything else. But at the same time, that's just it doesn't hurt them. And I think that was proved last year in the national championship too. Whenever they faced a Baylor team that had really played well all season and had played those tough games and had those those dog fights to the end, and they just basically beat the dog out of Gonzaga. And I think that was kind of one of those where they were a physical team, uh, way more physical than Gonzaga had seen all year. And they just took it to them, and Gonzaga didn't know what to do because they hadn't been in that situation. And I think that really does hurt them. And, I mean, even whenever we beat Gonzaga in 2019 to go to the Final Four, like that was the same scenario to me. We'd been in those tough games and had those situations where, you know, you either do something or you're going home. And uh, and we made it happen. So, yeah, we did. And uh, interestingly enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch in and, and voice my opinion here. You know what I would do if I'm Gonzaga? Some sports and some teams and schools do this. For instance, Notre Dame, a good example. For football, they are an independent school, so they are not associated with a conference. 
they just kind of schedule whoever all year long, whoever wants to play them and travel and do all this and that. But for every other sport or most all of their sports, they are in the ACC. Baseball, basketball, ice hockey, they're all in the ACC, but football, they're still independent. So if I'm Gonzaga, my question is, hey, why don't you keep every other sport in the West Coast Conference and put basketball maybe in like the Pac-12? Because that's right in their geographic region with Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State. You're like geographically speaking, you're not moving hardly at all, if any, and uh, you'll be faced with a lot better competition there. I, I mean, I, if if they can make that happen, I think that would be a great look for the Pac-12, but also for Gonzaga, and that would help kind of counter the argument of, well, they don't play very many good conference games. You know, why don't we fix that by doing something else? Well, why would you? It's it's the same thing. Okay, well, you've got that argument with some people, but at the same time, they're still number one in the nation. So yeah, apparently, exactly. there's apparently not enough people saying, "Well, I haven't played anybody." So I mean, why would you? Why would you give up being number one all year and go play somewhere where you could potentially get beat and have a stellar conference record? I'm, I'm assuming that that they're going to make money off of doing that, and and they're going to be okay. And that's probably the reason that they haven't thought about it is because like. If you can just dominate the same conference every year and be a one seed, why wouldn't you do that? you got a little bit easier road in the tournament. And I I think that's the only reason that they are still in that same conference for basketball is that they get to have a really good conference record. They get to always look good on the national stage in terms of their overall end conference record, maintain their rankings throughout the season, and then on top of that, they go to their conference tournament and probably will win that too, which just all but secures their spot in the uh, seedings segment of March Madness. So I, I hear what you're saying. I totally agree, and that's why they probably don't move. But I don't know. I feel like they could make more money basketball-wise if they were to move to a different con- co- conference. Oh, I do too, but, I mean, at the same time, it's kind of one of those why deals where uh, – yeah, why would you? And at the same time, uh, no one really listens to us, and I guess our opinions really don't really don't uh, have any value until someone calls us and asks our opinion. So you know, there's not much we can do about that, and we're quite a ways from Gonzaga, and probably won't move any closer. So you know, we'll just be here uh, in the Big Twelve, toughing it out, doing our best, and we can let them have their cheesecake schedule and we'll beat them in the tournament, you know? Yep, I agree. So we're going to get off of the uh, little rant there of college basketball and let's take a look one more time at the Big 12 Conference standings as of today. You have Kansas in first place, Baylor in second place, Texas Tech in third, Texas in fourth, TCU, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, West Virginia filling in the rest of the way. But really, the the three that are in the running the most, Kansas in first, Baylor half a game out of first, Texas Tech a game and a half. So if Tech can take care of business Wednesday against the Baylor Bears, then all of a sudden we're half a game out of first place and barring a Kansas loss and we win again. Next thing you know, you wake up one day, you're in first place again. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to happen, though. Kansas is pretty stout. Um, I don't see anybody coming coming and uh, upsetting them. I think they've kind of gone past that. Did they play Baylor? Have they played Baylor in Waco yet? Yeah, I I don't know if they've played in Waco, but I've known they've played 
Uh, yeah, because the first time they played, it was it um, wasn't close. It was about a thirty point uh, victory in Kansas's favor. But I mean, Kansas is six and two in conference, and that's going to be tough to tough to be unless if um, something just I don't know happens to go everybody else's way. I don't I don't really see Kansas falling off like that. I think I don't think that they're going to be a national championship contender by any means. But I just don't think that that they're going to lose the Big 12. If they do, I think – I don't know that, that Baylor's got the team to do it. They, like I said, are overrated. But I just don't think that they've got the – the I don't know, the leadership really. They don't have that, that quality guys like Kansas year. does. Yeah, and they lost the, really their main player. He gets hurt really bad and he's out for the rest of the year. Yeah, so I don't I don't see Baylor being the people that are going to win the conference. I think we really have a chance given that we take care of business and we have um, those upsets against Kansas that, that could really help. Uh, I think Baylor, hopefully I guess we'll have to pull for them um, given that we beat them this week and take care of business against – Texas this weekend, but I think that that's going to be probably one of the best chances that we have, and someone, you know, maybe slipping up on Kansas, but I just don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, and Kansas won't travel to Waco to play the Bears in Waco until the 26th of February, which is coming up here in just about two and a half weeks. That will be on a Saturday afternoon, but uh, that's kind of our segment so far on college basketball. Stay tuned to our next edition for more updates as the Red Raiders will take on again Baylor at home on Wednesday and then we'll travel to Austin for round two against Chris the Snake Beard, Country Club Chris in Austin. Uh, and that will be a fun game to watch. But Dude, you're not supposed to say his name. Sorry. Uh, that was our that was our one fine print thing that we had on the show. Is we're not supposed to say his name. Okay, well you've already broken it. We, That's that, a contract break, we're, man. We're playing that one dude who left us and got on a plane and went down to Austin, and he's like ugly and fat and like a yeah, coach. and tried to take our coach. Yeah, that guy is the one that we're playing uh, on Saturday. So yeah, his name will not be spoken of ever again. You have my word, and if I do say his name, then uh, I will for ever. Mark myself as a, a traitor, so I, I do apologize, but it won't happen again. Don't make me break out that picture of you in a UT jersey as a kid. Uh, you know I've got the. Uh, don't go there. Don't go <laughs> it's there. all right. We had this discussion the other day. You know, we we both grew up, I guess you could say, UT fans or whatever. And you know, shame <laughs> on us. But but then uh, we both were were uh, transferred and. Uh, into the right section and we were talking about it the other day and I was like, man, you know, I usually like I really had never had a problem with UT and I was like, but you know, I just don't like them now. I was like, I hope they lose at everything they do. Oh like, yeah, same. I mean, I, still, I hate them. I still want them to beat OU, I guess, because I don't like OU more than I don't like Texas. But now I'm just to the point where I'm like, I don't like them at all. Like, no. I want them to lose every sport, every every game. And uh, that's what my dad's a UT fan, and at the game, everybody was doing the horns down, and he was like. Man, he's like, we're just in y'all's heads, aren't we? And I was like, well, yeah, but we've beat y'all the past few times we played other than in football, but we see how the seasons turned out different. I was like, I'll take that. Oh, you yeah. Know. Well, we might we might get a 70-piece hung up on us, but, uh, hey, we went to a bowl game and uh, kicked some ass. They stayed for the, uh, what, the uh, 
what do we call it, the Martha Stewart Home for the Holidays Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing, too, that like I feel like the main reason I'll always do horns down is because they get so offended by it. And now it's been like a, a 15 yard penalty. Yeah. Be I was going to say, it's been like a penalty now. And I'm like, really? You're that big of a sissy that this is this is hurting your feelings? Hey, and, and enjoy we're the SEC. Yeah. Have fun, though. We'll see, how, <laughs> we'll see how y'all do in the SEC, considering you can't even compete in the Big 12. Yep. Yeah. Well. Good luck with that, guys. Yeah, Hope that works out well for you. Best of luck, but, like, not really. So, <laughs> Let us know how Nick Saban is. Yeah. Send him our regards. That's a problem that uh, we don't have to have, so joke's on you. And Longhorn Network, joke's on you, too. You're going down by the wayside. So uh, enjoy your last <laughs> few years of relevance, which I don't know how relevant that channel is anyway. But uh, let's go on to, speaking of the Longhorn Network, college baseball. Well, actually... Uh, we should buy out the at Longhorn Network. It'll be the, the tortilla Network. flying. Network. Oh, the flying tortilla network. That's yeah. an idea. Yeah, I wouldn't even talk about tech. They don't need it. We do. Now, so for all of you listening, please send your letters into ESPN. They can be found in uh, where are they? Connecticut, Bristol, Connecticut. That's where they are. Send them your letters today. And uh, tell them how badly you want the Flying Tortilla Network. I completely agree with that notion there. But uh, moving on now to college baseball on Saturday. Uh, Friday, actually, is opening day for the Red Raiders in Arlington for the State Farm College Baseball Showdown. Red Raiders will open their season at 7 o'clock on Friday against Michigan and then we'll play again on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Shortly thereafter, the basketball game will take on the Auburn Tigers. And then again on Sunday to complete the trifecta against Arizona. All three baseball teams are pretty good, but the Red Raiders have a lot pointing in the right direction for them this year and hope that they can take care of business not only this weekend, but allow that to translate into the rest of the season as they'll come home and play in their home opener the weekend thereafter. And so it should be a good season for the Red Raiders starting in just here a few in, in a few short days. So that'll be fun. I'm excited for baseball. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. Not a big baseball player or anything, but I, I love watching it. It sure is fun. Yeah, see, I like to think I was a big baseball player, but in reality, no, not really. So if Coach Crouch, you're listening to this podcast, I highly doubt you are. You probably don't even follow me on Twitter. Then, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, – well, never mind. Are you okay, buddy? No, I'm do we not. Need, do we need to talk about it? It's Valentine's Day. I'm not, I'm not okay. <laughs> All love here. <laughs> we're we're a loving community of tortillas. Yeah, tortillas. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, Tortilla Nation. Yeah, Lord knows that we don't have dates. So I mean, if you're single and ready to mingle, you know, contact and you us. like tortillas, then give us a call today <laughs> yeah. at nine four zero seven eight one nine seven one one. That's the Flying Tortilla Hotline again. The Valentine's Day Single Guy Hotline is nine four zero seven eight one nine seven one one. And uh, Morgan, what's your hotline? Uh, 1-800-SINGLE-TO-MINGLE, you know. Oh. Sorry. I, I gave a 1-800 number. I'm not going to throw my phone number out there. Well, there for... Be, there could be some hackers, dude. I'm not trying to get those robocalls. We've already got plenty of those. Well, I'll you know, be... my car's extended warranty is long gone. <laughs> So yeah, give me give me a call at uh, not nine four zero seven eight one nine seven one one. Call somebody else instead. So with that being said, let's go to the NFL. Morgan, take it away. Oh man, 
Well, we had the Super Bowl last night, and uh, yes, yes, we did. I, the, if, the bowl if, was super last night. Not to say I was right, but the defensive line was the difference. Unfortunately, you were right. Yeah, that was I was finally right on something. You know, we completely airballed the uh, conference games. Oh yeah, missed the NFC and the AFC. Got those completely wrong. But uh, so, if you want all your betting suggestions, don't ever call the Flying Tortilla. That again is not nine four zero seven eight one nine seven one one. Again, call somebody else. But sorry to interrupt, Morgan. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was just kind of one of those deals to me where they really had Burrow running around the entire game. Um, he just would they never let him get comfortable in the pocket and he's he's one of those that that he can scramble and make things happen but but to me it it's hard whenever you can do that but you have to do it all game it's it's just doesn't get any easier and it, it takes a toll on you really and and i just feel like that the rams defensive line was way too tough for that offensive line uh for the Bengals and i think that that boiled down to being the difference was defense and you know they always Talk about well, defense wins championships. Well, yeah, it does. And and there there were some questionable calls. I'll say that. But but at the same time, if you want to get into the whole deal of that that goal line series where they threw a few flags on the Bengals, okay, well that's great. What if they throw that flag on T. Higgins there to open up the second half? Whenever he basically threw Jalen Ramsey to the ground, like okay, so if you want to talk about the refs blowing it, what about that call? Because it all translates back. I mean, the refs aren't going to blow it there at the end. Like it, it, it's a series of things. And what if they would have scored here? You know, there's all these what ifs. But I think that it was just the defense that that did it for them. Yeah, for sure. And that was one of the talking points about the Bengals all year long was. How strong was their offensive line and how much could they kind of keep up with that defensive pressure that they had for the most of the season? And that really proved to be the difference in the Super Bowl. You look at the final drive of that game. Will the Bengals have enough time to try to work the ball down the field to put themselves within field goal range to tie it up, to send it to overtime? And uh, that fourth and one from Joe Burrow as Aaron Darnold and the entire Rams uh, defensive line just got on him and gave him the pressure that, uh, again, the offensive line for the Bengals couldn't handle, and that was kind of it. That was the game. And that I think not only aside from that final drive, that really was the difference the entire game. Oh, yeah, and I think it was kind of a, I guess, a story ending, you could call it, if if you're sentimental and romantic and stuff like that. But Happy uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, We're, yeah. We're going to get a little romantic here. I'm just kidding, but... Uh, no, so, I mean, the whole Aaron Donald thing, because they were talking about in one of the, the postseason games about how bad he wanted to win a ring, and he was kind of the leader, obviously, he was the leader for the defense. He's one of the best defensive players in the league, if not the best, and he's got a case for either one. But uh, he was kind of the ringleader there, and, and so I think that it was kind of a, a right ending, I guess you could say, for him to get that final sack and to seal the deal. But, I mean, that that's just the same thing like I was talking about. You got Joe Burrow running around, and that's that wears on your offensive line too because you could tell they were they were tired and they'd been dealing with Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald. And then once those guys are, are messing it all up and blowing up your line, then you've got other guys coming in and making plays. And it, it finally just took a toll. I think right there with about, I don't know, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, Burrow had already been sacked seven times. And you, you just can't do that and expect to win a Super Bowl 
that's that's just tough to do. And if you do, you know, congrats. Like that's that's on the quarterback, really. Um, you just tip your hat to that, and it'll be the same conversation if they would have won. You know, it would have been like, okay, well, he he avoided that defensive line the whole time, but but that's just it took a toll on them, and they didn't have the the depth that the Rams did. So you know, I'm happy for Matt Stafford and. Uh, a bunch of those guys on that team because I really think they did deserve to win and and I, I think that Matt Stafford's got a cool story and he's been through a lot. Anybody that can be that long at, at Detroit, you know, through all that and the Lions just being terrible for years, you know, he deserves to win something, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And as much as I wanted to see the Bengals win the Super Bowl, I am genuinely happy for Matt Stafford, uh, Aaron Darnold, and uh, also, you know. Odell Beckham Jr. I know a lot of people don't like him, or you do, uh, and him having what they said was a torn ACL halfway through the ball game. Uh, to see him kind of bounce around from team to team after a long tenure with the Giants, I am genuinely happy for him to see not only Odell Beckham Jr. and the rest of the Rams, but just uh, kind of a new champion in the realm of the NFL, and it's refreshing for a change to not see the uh, Patriots, you know, the Buccaneers. And, you mean Tom Brady? Yeah, Tom, really, mainly just Tom Brady. Yeah. It, it was refreshing for a change, and nonetheless, I'm happy to see a new champion crowned and genuinely happy for those guys. As much as I wanted to see Joe Burrow win, his time is just around the corner, and I think nothing but uh, success is in the future for this Cincinnati Bengals team. And if nothing else, it pro- provided a huge confidence boost for them. Oh, yeah, no doubt. They'll be back within the next few years. There's not a, there's not a question in my mind. Um They've got a lot going for them. They're going to have to use some draft picks and some uh, free agency to get that line a little bit better than what they have been, and especially than they were this year. But, I mean, nobody really expected them to get to this point. So I think they'll be back here before too long, and it's just going to be a, a matter of time and them kind of maturing and growing as a team, you know. And it, it's a lot for uh, you look at Joe Burrow being his second year and Jamar Chase being his first year. T. Higgins isn't too much older than them, and if not the same class as Joe Burrow. But I mean, they've got they've got a lot going for them, and they'll they'll be back. They'll get there. Yeah, they will, no doubt. So uh, once again, everybody on planet Earth saw the Super Bowl and know that the Bengals won, and uh, so that about does it for our NFL segment. Hey, speaking of our NFL segment, though, let's uh, let's just briefly touch on the halftime show. Uh, we we've started a new segment here on the Flying Tortilla podcast where we talk about uh, new music artists that we've been listening to lately. But uh, uh, let's let's talk about the halftime show. Speaking of music, what were your thoughts? I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I know there's been a lot of uh, controversy and kind of backlash on it, but. For me being, you know, kind of grew up listening to Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and them kind of being your, like, top rap guys. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Eminem was pretty solid. I thought, I thought 50 Cent was a nice touch. I didn't know he was going to be there. And then they threw it on him, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's 50 Cent. Like, oh, yeah. that's kind of cool. Uh, I thought the one the one part that wasn't so hot for me was Kendrick Lamar. That was kind of weird. I don't know what he was, like doing dancing wise and it was just kind of a little strange and it kind of took away from everything else that they were doing so i didn't like that part but i mean overall i thought it was pretty solid better than some other ones i've seen other than shakira and j-lo that one was oh man, oh, that one was probably my favorite was that it, was wasn't a huge not, fan not of like that even one. not even like music wise just 
<laughs> to see Shakira and Shayla at the same yeah. time. Like that was pretty cool. They, That's they're fair. They're pretty good looking. No, they, no, they, they totally are. But uh, yeah, like I said, or like you said rather, I, I totally could have done without the Kendrick Lamar. But uh, nonetheless, thought the Super Bowl show was uh, the halftime show was phenomenal, really good. Did a great job at uh, kind of cultivating the whole LA vibe behind the Super Bowl. So shout out to the NFL, kudos to you, excellent job on the halftime show, and um, yeah. So now let's get to my favorite segment of the show, the NHL little segment, and it's about to get really uh, charismatic for me here. Let's talk about the Dallas Stars, Ghost Stars. So we're going into the All-Star break. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the National Hockey League, more specifically the Dallas Stars, they've not been playing that well throughout the entire season until leading up to the All-Star break, going like a six-game win streak. They find themselves holding the second wild-card position, and then they just didn't win another game. So next thing you know, Stars are four fifth place in the wild card standings for the central division and then the all-star break comes around well the stars come back win a couple of games before on sunday playing the division rival the colorado avalanche and get skunked at home four to nothing in a game that was just absolutely disgusting i had a chance to be at the game well so the colorado avalanche they put 26 shots on goals uh, 26 shots on net in the first period most teams don't put 26 shots on goal for at least two, two and a half periods. Colorado has 26 in the first period. Second period comes along, uh, comes around. Colorado's already up two to nothing. Stars go on three power plays in the second period, have a chance to really do some damage and find their way back into the game. Their power play looked just absolutely disgusting. They had, out of the three power plays, four shots on goal. And for those of you, again, who aren't hockey fans, in the power play in hockey, you are the opposing team who the penalty gets called against. Well, you have one of your players that goes to the penalty box. So automatically it becomes a five-on-four advantage for whoever is on the power play. For the Stars, when you have a five-on-four advantage, there's no excuse for you to not be able to control the puck in your own zone and put pucks on the net and get quality scoring opportunities. Stars didn't do that at all. Out of the six minutes of penalty minutes they had in the second period, got four shots on net and uh, literally never scored the entire game, losing four to nothing. Now the Stars sit in third place in the wild card and uh, have a lot of work to do. But here's the interesting thing about the NHL. They are halfway through the season. Stars have a lot of time left to make up for the mistakes early on in the half of the, in the season. But quite frankly, they play 82 games in the National Hockey League. Games 40 through 60 are really what defines your team. And they're in the thick of it now, and they don't look too hot. So the trade deadline coming up quickly, if they don't pick it up, a lot of big decisions are going to have to be made in that Dallas Stars front office. So stay tuned for more NHL uh, opinions from me. Uh, call me at uh, not 940-781-9711 for your opinion on the Dallas Stars because right now they look just completely awful. They are 52 points, but the two wild card, card holders are at least three points ahead of them. And so, yeah, that's my NHL segment. Who's leading the wild card? Oh, you shut up, dude. 
Uh, sorry, St. Louis I Blues. Had, I had to ask. That's Charlie's second favorite team, if y'all were wondering. I would rather jump off of my fourth floor balcony at my apartment than talk about the St. Louis Blues. So with that being said, yeah, before I give you a chance to say anything else, let's go into the PGA because, uh, yeah, I hate the Blues. Well, wait, I, I want to I wanna hear now, your fun fact for the day. Fun fact for the day, I effing hate the Blues. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's, that's a great fun fact, man. You really stepped it up. No, fun fact for the day, there was once a Major League Baseball pitcher who got struck by lightning. He was a pitcher, and this was in the early 1900s. He got struck by lightning twice in the same inning. You know, they say that lightning never strikes in the same place twice. Well, it did, and struck this pitcher both times halfway through the ball game. Pitcher gets carted off the field, goes to the dugout, finds his way back into the game, and finishes the game, and their team got the win, and that pitcher finished the game. So there's your fun fact for the day. There once was a major league pitcher who got struck by lightning twice in one game and still pitched and won the game. Yeah, that's kind of a turnaround from what we have now, you know. You like get a you blister can, on your thumb, you're out for three weeks. That guy got struck by lightning twice in one game and still finished and won. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, turn they, used to, they used to play football with no face masks. Like, <laughs> like the the turn we've taken over the past hundred years has just been incredible. Everybody's weenies. Yep, that's right. Except for us. Except for us. We're real men. We are. But anyway, thanks for that fun fact. Yeah, you. That's a great thing fun. to know. So, well, so if you ever, I the knowledge that I have in my brain, you might not ever amount to anything in life. But if you ever find yourself on a game of Jeopardy, I'm your guy to call. Again, at not 940-781-9711, call 1-800-whoever. Yeah, you sure have said your number quite a bit today. That's not my number. Mm-hmm. Nope. Sorry. I didn't mean to bring that up. But nope. It's not my number. Anyway, on to some... Don't uh, call it. On to some PGA Tour news. Uh, we had the Waste Management Open this past week, and... Man, what a what a fun atmosphere and just a fun tournament to watch. Um, can't imagine being there. We were talking before we started uh, recording, but uh, we both want to go see that at some point. That's kind of a bucket list tournament. Hole 16 at the Waste Management Open always oh. and for will always be on my bucket list until I actually do it. Yeah, that's the place to be. Um, there's people waiting in line. I saw one video. They let everybody in at 2:30 in the morning for uh, Sunday, and it was just a bull rush. They ran all the way from the opening gate right by the clubhouse. They ran from there all the way to 16. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, people get there super early, sit out there, drink all day, um, basically tailgate in their seats. So it's it's pretty fun to watch, and, and they get pretty rowdy. So, uh, Scotty Scheffler ended up coming up with a win in the playoff holes. Uh, Patrick Cantlay was also there in the hunt and lost the playoff. That was his first appearance at the Waste Management Open. So, I wonder what his thoughts are on that atmosphere and and the the difference in that and and your other tournaments like the Masters where they'll kick you out if you start yelling stuff. (laughs) Well, I think this one hole number 16 at the waste management open is definitely the exception i heard jim nance once speaking of sports broadcasters talk about hole 16 at the waste management open where he called it the fenway park of golf which is absolutely the truth because i mean you got sky boxes that go up i don't know what three tiers 
all the way around the mm -hmm. hole and it's a short par three and so you walk underneath the sky boxes through a tunnel to get to the tee box if you're the player and uh i mean you are just absolutely surrounded by probably ten thousand at least fans oh yeah no they call it the stadium hole because there's um grandstands completely surrounding it which is they don't have that anywhere else in golf that is the one hole on the pga tour that is completely surrounded by grandstands and so people will show up at wee hours of the morning wait in line and go over there and just start drinking and so it gets rowdy really fast and i mean you you think about it the most of tea times don't start till nine and ten in the morning for your weekend groups so you got a lot of waiting time and a lot of drinking time i mean those those people are slightly intoxicated by the time the first group rolls around and i think and, slightly uh, might be a massive understatement yeah but can't yeah. say i've never been there before <laughs> yeah but i've no been there kidding. before but we yeah Sorry, so that's Bob. that's just an awesome experience that i would love to see and there were two holes in ones uh this weekend, which is pretty impressive. I mean, that usually doesn't happen all that much there at 16 because one thing about it is if you hit a good shot, everybody's on your side and they're your friend. But if you hit one bad, they're they're not very hesitant to boo you. So there were two holes in ones, and um, one of my favorite clips was the first one that the guy made. Uh, everybody just started throwing beers, and it was going crazy, and there was beer showers all across 16, and one of the commentators was standing up against the grandstands, and she was saying, oh, he made it. And she was like, oh, we're literally covered in beer right now. She was like, they are just going crazy throwing beers. And then uh, the second guy that made it, everybody started throwing their beer cans on the hole. And uh, there's a picture of the back part of the green with, like, the bunkers and everything just completely covered in beer cans. And I was just like, man, like, that's, that's crazy. And a lot of people have issues with that because they say, oh, it's not golf. But to me, like... That's the new part of golf, and you've got to have that kind of edge to it to where it's not just, you know, you got to be shirt tucked in, uh, collared shirt, no jeans kind of deal. Like, you got to have those kind of things that bridge it to the normal people. And that's, yeah, you got to find a way to entertain the game to the younger generation of fans as well. Oh, yeah. Especially with the way – this is going to sound stupid, but the, with the wave of, like, barstool sports, people mm -hmm. like us, I mean, we get, they got to try to find a way to put that – event and sport and make it marketable to our generation and younger yeah which i'm not saying every country club should just completely throw all the rules out the window because that's not true you still have to have those places and that that really does a lot for the golf industry as well but at the same time you've got to have those those clubs and those events where you know there's not as many rules and it's a lot more lax but i mean you look at tournaments like the masters that's probably the most strict like straightforward old-fashioned golf tournament there is and that is just a blast to watch and that's another place that I, this is my bucket list i want to go there so bad but you've got to have that and you've got to have things like the waste management open to kind of you know it, it's good for everybody and and i think that you know golf is huge in other countries but it's not so big here and that that's something that's really helping and uh getting people out and wanting to play and and making it more accessible to be like, oh, well, I don't have to be in a country club or, or be shirt tucked in and all that all the time. I mean, you probably couldn't play there if you wanted to have your shirt untucked and be a little Not hooligan a on the golf course. But there's places that you can go play and do that. So I think it's great. But, yeah, Meadowbrook. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's a fun for you loving people, Hole 16 at the Waste Management Open is kind of like a fancier, cooler version of Meadowbrook. 
slightly. But just a little bit. I mean, they, they it looks like they have just like a few more dollars in their system, but but just as greasy. Yeah. So, yeah. No kidding. But yeah. So uh, another thing with the PGA Tour, and I uh, actually did some more research onto this whole Saudi golf league, and uh, one of the main things that um, they're they're really pushing, and the the main argument behind why this would be better than the PGA Tour is that uh, so the way the PGA Tour works is that you get paid based off your placing and, and how well you do in tournaments and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you can be really good and make a lot of money like Tiger Woods or you can be not so good and you don't you don't really make that much money and a lot of a lot of golfers have two jobs. Like they'll go play golf and do all that, but they have a job on the side because they don't make enough. So, uh one of the things that they want to do for the Saudi Golf League is that uh, they're going to do everything on salaries. And uh, one of the stats that I saw is that they offered Bryson DeChambeau $135 million. Yeah, $135 million. For how long? Like, Is there like a year stipend behind uh, that? I'm sure. I'm sure there was more to the – I just saw this deal on Golf Digest Instagram. But, but guess how much money Tiger Woods has made in his entire career. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I would guess it's in the hundred million range at least. One hundred and twenty-one, and they're offering him a what? One hundred thirty-five. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I mean, at the oh same time, God. it's like okay, I can, I can make. I mean, Deshambo, in my opinion, is not that great. He's he's just weird and does too much <laughs> funky stuff to not very, be very scientific. Yeah, but it like. If you're going to pay you $135 million, I think I'd be like, okay, when do you want me to sign up? Yeah, like, no when, when should I be there? But especially after Tiger Woods only made $121 million, and you can you could already start out making $24 million more than Tiger Woods ever made in the PGA Tour. That's insane. That's nuts. Especially when you think of, okay, DeChambeau's not even one of the top players. What are they going to pay a guy like Dustin Johnson? Or like Brooks Kepka. Yeah, that's Colin Morikawa. Like to think about. And much less the people that are playing in, in Saudi and other countries already. Like I I don't know what their funding is or where it's coming from, but they must have a ton of it. That's crazy. I I know you mentioned that one time about the salary, but like putting those numbers next to one another, Tiger Woods making less overall in his career than what they're offering Bryson DeChambeau salary paid. That's crazy. Yeah, which the only thing I will say that kind of is, is kind of a turnoff for me, I guess, on the Saudi League is that you have uh, people in the PGA Tour that are kind of your Cinderella stories and people that just come up from literally nothing and, like, they've just pop up randomly and go win a tournament or place really well in a tournament, and, and that's kind of – uh, the deal is, you know, anybody can really make it, and that's what's cool about it. But then you turn into the Saudi league where they're paying people uh, yearly contracts and that kind of stuff. I think you kind of go away from that, and it kind of turns into more of a NFL, NBA kind of thing where, you know, you've got to do all kinds of, of crazy stuff like that, and you don't have those guys that just kind of come up out of anywhere, which, I mean, your level of golf is going to increase in that way and people getting paid to play. It's going to be a lot better golfers, but at the same time, I think that's something that's really different and cool about the PGA Tour is that there's guys that I've never heard of that'll show up and and be leading a tournament. There was a guy that was on an exemption this week that was leading going into Sunday. Yeah, he he was 
he had just been there on like a certain deal they gave him a tournament exemption for the waste management and was leading going into the last day of the tournament like that's that's something that you're going to get away from paying people wages but I don't know I guess they can do whatever they want again until they call me and ask for my opinion it really don't mean nothing but I do think to your point it's really cool that they are kind of venturing to this new league but at the same time the PGA won't go away anytime soon the tour will always and forever be around but it's kind of cool to have uh, this new wave of golf coming around. It, it's almost like it's going to be the all-star tour, if you will. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, you know, anything they can do, like we just talked about, to market to this new generation of golf fans, you'll still have your Cinderella stories in the big tournaments like the Masters and the Pebble Beach Open and stuff and the U.S. Open and stuff like that. When you have these big-time, big-name players going to play in the Saudi Tour and it's all of the biggest names in golf playing against one another – I think it adds to the level of excitement that surrounds the game. And uh, quite frankly, as those players, if they're offered salary pay, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't or wouldn't want to go. Yeah, and that's that's the main argument that there is that, okay, you're going you're gonna to pay these guys like Bryson 135, and let's say it's over three years or whatever. You're still making more money than Tiger did in his career. Like, oh, right. Yeah. I think anyone with a brain would be like, okay, uh, yeah, when should I be there? But, I mean, it, it may be one of those things, too, where, you know, how long is that going to last and what kind of staple is that going to have on the world of golf and all that, which it may take off and it may be the new deal and the PGA may be done for. But um, I think for the time being, I love seeing the PGA, too. And being from America, I guess, you get to see all those uh, courses that you kind of, to me, I always grew up wanting to pay, play like Bethpage Black, Pebble Beach, uh, TPC, um, Scottsdale, where they just were, um, the Augusta National, like that's top of the list. Like I think that that's something that the Saudi Golf League may start kind of pulling them away for from, and uh, I think that's kind of sad. But yeah. but at the same time, you know, they may stick to it and do kind of a half and half tour where you're halfway over well, overseas for the year and halfway back here. I don't I don't know. And it's one of those deals where you know anything could happen and still up in the air. So it'll be interesting to see though what they come up with. Yeah. Well, think of it this way: the the way that I think about it is that when you talk about two competing leagues, if you will, you know, think of it like this. If you're an NHL player playing hockey and the Winter Olympics comes up, well, the league allows the NHL players to go home and play for their respective countries, but they always overlap. The Olympics is always right in the thick of the NHL season, so the league will go on a little bit of a pause and standby to allow these players to go back and go represent their countries. And... Uh, you know, I think it would be really cool if the Saudi League could work out some kind of agreement with the PGA to allow these players to go play on the tour, but also go play in this new league that's coming up. Because, quite frankly, if you do it that way, everybody's making and maximizing as much money as possible. Because if, I, if I'm the Saudi League and I've got a tournament the same week as the Masters, well... You've got a decision to make. Are we going to let our players go play in the Masters, or are they going to play in our tournament that we have coming up? And uh, if you know, if I'm somebody like Bryson DeChambeau or Phil Mickelson or whoever's being invited to play on this tour, my argument is, 
well, why can't I do both? Why can't we do the Masters this week and then in two weeks do this other new tournament? Because if I place really well in the Masters, that's only going to make the viewership of this new tournament uh, grow exponentially. And I see it as a win-win for everybody if they can work out some kind of agreement between the, uh, the two organizations. Yeah, and I think what they're going to have to do is is do a combo kind of deal because you know you're not just going to say okay well we're going to go to this league but we're not going to play the masters anymore like that's one of the staples and i mean i guess if you go away from the pga tournament or the tour then i guess you have every right to say yeah we're not we're not doing that anymore but what i think the best route for them to do is like you said do a combo you know like say okay well the masters is going to be this week in april we're not going to host a tournament that week for the saudi league or even you know, okay, so why don't they just come together, have a PGA, like make it a super league? Like they eventually come together and then they host the tournaments on the PGA Tour, the top ones, you know, the players, the Masters, um, the U.S., the British Open, that kind of stuff. And, and you have that combo, but then you also go in Saudi and play or wherever in Europe and go play you a stretch there. And, I mean, it may be a – a month or so basis to where you're living in Europe for a month or something like that. I don't know. And it, uh, I need to do a little bit more research. So I'll get with you on the next episode on that. But that's the updates on the, on the Saudi league for now. But I mean, to your point, why not both? I think that's good for the game of golf. And I think that's everyone's ultimate objective. So yeah. Oh, yeah. What, and, what, and I think, I think moving into the European and Asian countries like that is awesome for golf because golf is way bigger there than it is here. Um, especially in Asia and China and that kind of stuff. Like they love golf. They're, they're huge golf fans. And especially with, um, Hideki winning the masters last year, which was that, awesome. Yeah. That I love Hideki. I've loved him for a while just cause his swing is so different and yeah. so cool. And he's, he's got just that. like a genuine seems to be anyway, just a genuine person. Have you ever seen that video of whenever he won and his caddy walked off? Bowed at the 18th tar- hole He bowed the at the course like that. Yeah. That was pretty dang cool. And like yeah. I got chills watching that. Like, I did too. It's just something that in their culture, I mean, when you bow to something or someone, that is the utmost sign of respect anybody oh, yeah. can can uh, portray or do. And by having him and the caddy both bowing at the course, it's just their way of showing like these guys wanted to be there. And when they won, they still paid their respects to not only the PGA Tour, not only the event, not only the course, but the the sport in general. And I. I like what you were saying, I think that was one of the most refreshing and one of the coolest things in all the sports I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think that dude deserves it more than anybody, and he's had a lot of success. And, and he won and, with class and is a true champion in my book. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's, he, he is, to me, I would rather see him win than Patrick Reed. I don't like Patrick Reed because he, he's cocky and, I don't know, I, he just or has Chimbo. that. He has that uh, that little swagger about him that I just want to hit him. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I can, Throw just, a few haymakers. Yeah, he makes me just want to hit him. I don't know. And a, a few years ago in the Ryder Cup, he called himself Captain America and all this stuff and then didn't play worth crap. And I was like, dude, come on. Like, yeah, you, like, you literally just made yourself look like an idiot. Right. So, I don't know. I think that that the game of golf has a lot of stuff to figure out as far as professionalism goes and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm excited to see what happens, I guess. So, yeah, I it's going to be really cool what the future of golf looks like. I'm certainly excited to uh, kind of see the, the next wave of what that's going to look like. So 
Any additional thoughts on the PGA or golf in general? No, not really. Uh, let me take a look here and, and see what we've got we've got this week. I mean, it's it's going to be tough to follow up the the waste management. That's that's, that's always a one of high my favorites. To set. Oh, it's fun to watch. I can't imagine being there. Um, uh, we've got the Genesis Open at Riviera Golf Course, another classic venue for golf. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, Riviera this week. Purse is going to be twelve million. So that's a kind of ties in. Winner gets twelve million. Um, but you know the what? rest of that is kind of Bryson DeChambeau will get one hundred and thirty-five million for playing in the Saudi. Yep. Yeah, league tour, whatever you want to call it. That's right, and that's just for showing up too. Which I don't. <laughs> I kind of have issues with that because you know uh, how participation seri- trophies. How serious are they going to take it? It's like the NBA to me. You know, like people, you could tell those players know I'm getting paid either way. Right. So, which leads us into our next segment, which is the NBA. It's still going. So this is our favorite segment of the show, the NBA. Yes, Morgan, it is still going, and my favorite thing to talk about. The National Basketball Association, the best team in basketball right now being the Detroit Pistons, a 12 win and 45 loss record. Just kidding, they're the, probably the worst team. Yes, that's, that's ever awful. Basketball. How do you how do you only win 12 games out of a total of 57? You only win 12, which I mean I can't say anything. I guess. But hey, they're only 25 games out of first place. <laughs> Yeah, they, they can come back to that on a on a thirty game win streak, maybe. So basically, the Detroit Pistons are the Texas Rangers. Uh, yeah, sure, sort of the Rangers <laughs> of. Uh, yeah, they aren't the Astros. So yeah, shut up. <laughs> so yeah, that's about it for the NBA segment. Anything you want to mm-hmm. add to that? No, John Morant's still good. I yeah, saw some of his highlights the other day, and he had this one little deal. He drove in about free throw line, went up with it, and had a guy about to block it. Goes up with his right hand or his left hand, switches it over, and just shoots it only with his right. Doesn't even have his left hand on the ball. I mean, it was kind of one of those little Michael Jordan looking moves, but it was pretty clean. And I was like, oh man, how do you even do that? Like I, I try that sometimes, and it doesn't work. <laughs> For yeah. me, at least. Morgan but. Wiley, the intramural basketball champ. Did y'all win your game today? Yeah, we did. We nice. won by about 20. Uh, 16, actually. So Still. Yeah. Double I, digits. First half was pretty tough, but we pulled it together in the second half. Hit some shots down the stretch. So How we many got points the win. did you score? Uh, I don't know. Gavin, if you're know, listening, probably. how many points did you score? Gavin didn't play. This was a different team. Uh, Gavin's a chump. Yeah, that, that team plays on Sundays. We were off for the Super Bowl. Sunday so, League. So, shout out Texas Tech Rec for letting us off for the Super Bowl. But yeah, That's very nice of them to do that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, good win tonight, good team win, so I'm happy. Well, good. Keep it rolling next week. So, uh, what's the best thing you saw this week? We'll go ahead and wrap this up. We've gone a little long, so hope you all are still around, but, I mean, we've had a, a little a few rants and raves and hot takes, so... We're going to go ahead and wrap this whole thing up. Uh, what's the best thing you've seen this week? So this is actually our favorite segment of the podcast, the best thing we saw this week. But I'm going to defer and let you go first because I think mine is a little better than yours. Well, I already know what you're going to say, and I'm a little <laughs> yeah. nervous for that. But, uh, oh, you know, it, it it's just one of those things, you know, it happened. It was, it was pretty funny. We, it, we, it did, it did we happen. We definitely enjoyed it. It was funny. But uh, my the best thing I saw all week, and 
I don't know. I guess it's kind of not that great of a thing, but uh, it's pretty good, good for me coming say. coming from uh, my district to my hometown. Is that um, there's two teams in our district, um, Petrolia and Seymour. Both of them, for lack of a better word, I hate them. Like they're they were our rivals in high school, which everything now between me and those guys is is all settled. That was high school stuff, but but you know it's just kind of one of those things you carry over a little bit. So. Um, there was a massive fight. They played each other, and this was a, just a straight-out street brawl. Fans got involved. One fan knocked this player in the face from Petrolia about five times, gashed his eye open, um, just really beat the dog out of him, which is kind of sad that a fan did that. But at the same time, I don't know the context, and he may have deserved it, may not. But at the same time, you know, I don't think that fans should ever get involved with players like that, especially in a high school basketball game. So that was kind of upsetting, but at the same time, like, it's kind of a cool video. So you just look up a uh, Petrolia basketball fight and you'll find it. It, it, was pretty, it was pretty interesting, and it was a straight-up street fight. It was greasy. Yeah, it, it was pretty rough. Very greasy. Best thing I saw this week. <laughs> We're, so for you Lubbockites out there listening to this podcast, there is a new bar, relatively new, however, on Broadway called Miguel's. Good time, great bar, good drinks, good food, good people. We're standing in line. They've got this neat outdoor patio, and we are standing outside. It's me, Morgan, and one of my buddies, Rosser, fraternity buddy. Um, and uh, Rosser, if you're listening, I know you'd be laughing at this too, but we're standing in line at the outdoor bar getting ready to order a drink and all of a sudden Morgan is at the bar getting this drink well I'm next in line behind Morgan and out of the corner of my eye I see this girl step to the left of me and kind of look me up and down and uh, go back behind and I didn't pay hardly any attention to it I was like well yeah that was weird whatever and all of a sudden I hear a hey are you single so I kind of ignored it, and I see Morgan turn around because it was directed at Morgan. And he turns around and says, uh, yeah. Uh, this girl grabs him by the face and by the back of the neck, gives him a big old smooch on the lips, starts kissing him, whatever. A couple of seconds later, they stop kissing, and... Uh, Morgan. It wasn't a couple of seconds. It was just one. We're going to clarify that. It I wasn't don't know just about a, that. I, I don't yeah, know about no, that. It was one. I was there. I so know. it was a it was a it was a scene to take in. And Morgan turns around and says, "Oh, well, thank you for that." So we're all laughing, and so that was the, one of the most random things I'd ever seen. So then I go up to the bar, and I'm standing there getting ready to order the drink that I'm going to get. And um, this girl comes up to the, to the left of me, standing right next to me. And uh, poor girl, I, I mean, she just was not pretty at all. And that's the nicest thing that there is to say about that. And uh, so she looks at me and um, is copying the, the exact motions that I'm doing. And I look at her and I was like, oh, my God. No, this is not. Ha- no, no, not happening. And so um, and I get. She my- said, "Charlie, are you single?" He said, "No, no." I said, "No." 
So I get my drink going about my business, and that was kind of the extent of that. But funniest thing that I saw this week, Morgan getting hit on by some complete stranger at the bar, which, mind you, it was his 22nd birthday. So for those of you flying tortilla fans out there, happy late birthday to Morgan Wiley. But, Thanks, uh, yeah, he got a nice little smoochy smooch for some random chick at the bar at Miguel's. So if you're down for a greasy time, hit up my friends at Miguel's <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah, that, that was pretty funny, and it was one of those deals where, like, I don't even know what just happened. Like, I never had that happen to me before, but it was pretty funny. So I'm And not, just to think, like Rosser said, a lot of people pay big money for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's right. We get to do it for free. <laughs> yeah. We as in you. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I could have gone to Jags, and Lord knows how that would have turned out. I would have been a lot, no. a lot shorter on uh, funds. And I was just going to Miguel's, but so I'm glad that we just went to Miguel's. Jags is fun to talk about, never fun to go, never <laughs> been, can't say that I have, but uh, here it's a it's a greasy time. So with that being said, that's the best thing we've saw this we've seen this week, and I think that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the Flying Tortilla podcast. Any last words from my man Morgan Wiley? Call your mom. She misses you, you know. I saw my mom this weekend, it was awesome, we had a great time, but uh Give your mom a shout if you haven't talked to her. And, uh, you know, take it easy. If it's easy, take it twice. Be good or be good at it. All that good stuff. Uh, Thank God really much to say. Famous last words is a fool. Take it easy. And if it's easy, take it twice. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Flying Tortilla Podcast. As always, be good or be good at it. Be good. Be good good at it. Uh, Thanks for listening. And we'll see you all next week on the Flying Tortilla Podcast. Thanks for listening.